Okay, hey, welcome. It's Movie Cinema Film Club, or as we call in the inside circle, MCFC. Uh, we are back for another episode. We've got a couple great films for you today. Uh, Jules and Jim and The Alpinist. I think I said that right. Am I, am I not right? Am I right? Ian, these were your picks? That is correct. Did the, I say it right? The Al- okay, Alpinist. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Alpinist. Alpinist. Jules and Jim? <laughs> um, you know, before we get into those films, before I hand it off to you, let's do what we always do at the beginning of this, and that's the dailies. This week, let's start our dailies off with Brittany. That's my my daily is so simple this week, and that is the joy of seeing a person that you love experience a moment of ultimate happiness. And uh, I don't know if you both know this, but uh, one of my best friends, Lindsay, ha- is a very big dog lover. And she's been wanting a dog for a very long time now and has been like living in tiny apartments. And like she just wasn't set up to have this come to fruition for her. And a few days ago, all of her wishes finally came true. And she got the cutest little baby boy puppy, Golden Retriever, which is like her dream dog. And just seeing her, I, I met the dog this morning and like seeing her holding this dog and just like absolutely radiating joy to the ends of the earth was just it's like it's not even my dog, but it just like made me so happy to see her like finally get the thing that she has been pining for for so long and she's just so stoked and I was just like I'm so like it just made my week to like see her have that moment of this thing happening so I'm just happy for her that's awesome that's it yeah (laughs) that's great congratulations Lindsay yay what did do we know the name of this puppet golden tree We we do because Bo actually named it. I don't know if you want to throw that nugget of information in here, Bo. <laughs> yeah, um, she wanted to name her dog Jack, and I I gave so much shit because I was like, don't name a dog something that either another human is named or that there's a high probability that another dog is named. I was like, be more creative. You're a creative and interesting person. Just, I wanted to challenge her. And if she ended up on Jack, I'd be like, fine. But like, I was like, come on, this is a great opportunity to name a dog, something interesting. And we were sitting there and we were having a drink. We were actually drinking old fashions and we all love old fashions. And so, uh, you know, one of the, the, the main ingredients in an old fashioned, if, if you know anything about anything, God damn it, uh, <laughs> is a cherry and th- that cherry, uh, should be the best of the best, which are Luxardos. And so I said, name your dog Luxardo. And she did. And so that's where we're at. Lux for short. There you go. Yeah. Little Lux. Uh, I mean, I, I went I through a him. whole series where I thought we're going to go with Jacques or it was going to be <laughs> Cherry that she had a stripper dog. Um, oh and then it was God. Bitters and Angostura. Angus, Angie. And, and Angie. Old Bitters. Angostura is <laughs> uh, not a bad name for a dog. Little Ango. I like Ango. Ango sounds cute, but I don't know about Angostura. <laughs> I mean, you know, I actually kind of love. Dogs by short names. I love the name "old fashioned." 
Yeah. Hey, old fashioned. Hey, old fashioned. Or, or I could hey, go for like Yamazaki, maybe, if we want to get mm. into like whiskey names, you know? Yeah. Yummy. Yeah. <laughs> Yoichi. Yummy? Well, congratulations, <laughs> Lindsay, on Lux. <laughs> that was a long that was, that was a yeah. long trip to get where we're going. Here yeah, we are. Uh, Ian, what's your daily? I'm glad you asked. Uh, well, I'm glad I did too. For the first time in my 36 years on this earth, I really hoped I was going to fail a test. <laughs> 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 and <In> my daily. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I, I got the notice. I got the notice and I tested positive for COVID. Now you might be saying to yourself, how could that be the highlight of your week or weeks? Well, it wasn't. And it was a very lonely way to spend the holidays. But what I'm so grateful for is I had so many amazing friends, family, and loved ones in my life who reached out to me, scheduled Christmas Eve Zooms, you two included, to like, make me feel participatory, celebratory during the holiday season. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my friends, Lauren and Kristen, who brought me care packages and fresh baked Christmas cookies. My landlord Ooh. got me groceries. Like all these people were so kind and nice to me when I was isolated for 10 days. So that is my daily, nice. like the amazing friends that I have in my life. So thank you. That's awesome. I can get behind that. Mm -hmm. Wow, you really, you really learned the Christmas spirit. Um, that's great. Uh, yeah, don't socialize so with daily. anyone. Yeah, <laughs> stay away from, stay away from large groups, um, or some, or small ones. It doesn't matter. We're all fucked. Or I mean, deer, that's apparently. Um, it'd be great when they 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 listen to this in the future, and it's just like robots listening, and they're like, "What is COVID?" Um. <laughs> <laughs> so my daily, my daily is hot dogs. Okay. I'm going to start there. I'm going to, I'm going to start like a Christopher Nolan film, oh, hot boy. dogs. That's it. That's, that's the ending. But the beginning is like, I was recently in New York, um, all, uh, you know, desperately trying to avoid the COVID. And I went to a local bar, uh, called, uh, Rudy's and it was, one of the best bars I've been to in any city in America because the drinks were cheap. They were strong. People were great. It has a, had a little bit of everything that New York has to offer, you know, weirdos, assholes, fights almost breaking out. But the bartender was awesome. I'm going to give a big old shout out to TJ uh, because I met him and he looks at me, we're having a couple drinks. He goes, you want a hot dog? And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, free hot dogs. We have free hot dogs here at the bar. That's what we do. We do free hot dogs. I was like, yes, yes, motherfucker. I will have a free hot dog. And he comes over with two, two at a time, two in each hand. <laughs> and he's like, here, enjoy your free hot dogs and your heavy drinks for $5. I'm just like, holy fuck. My daily is... There are these bars, there are, there are these places in the world where they aren't taking advantage of you, they aren't charging you out the nose, and they understand good service. Because let me tell you, I didn't want to leave. I ended up staying five hours because why leave? I'm full and I can keep ordering cheap drinks. It's <laughs> magic. It's magical. So if you're in New York City, look up Rudy's, ask for TJ, get your ass a hot dog. I mean, New York style hot dog. In this place, anyway, was ketchup and mustard, which I never do, and I was glad to do. 
So when you're drunk enough, uh, though, any condiments are, hey, are welcome. When yeah. you're drunk enough, it was awesome. We had a great experience. I mean, there was a, a fight almost broke out. It was one of those moments where I'm like, yep, I remember New York. I remember New Jersey. It's a hot dog, a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the fight. Yeah, so so that's uh, that's uh, that's mine. That's mine. Um, well, thank you for your dailies, guys. Uh, let's get into the movies. Um, again, this is Ian's week. Oh, I'm so- Big week for Ian. Coming in hot. Coming in strongly hot. I, um- and uh, I want I want to hand it off to you and let you let you roll with it. So, are you ready, Ian? Well, uh, and for our listeners, uh, MCFC, we're not bringing you two hot dogs, but we're bringing you two hot films this week for free Whoa. of charge, free ninety nine. Wow. Uh, and my picks for this week uh, are two very relatable films, uh, very French themed. Um. But I'm going to start with some French New Wave and 1962's Jules and Jim, directed by Francois Truffaut uh, and starring Jean Moreau, Oscar Werner as Jules, Henri Sor. I am butchering these names. I apologize to all these actors. <laughs> Thank God. I'm going to just say, I, I can't say, I, I, can't, I don't speak French very well, but... You see, you don't speak France very well. French. Is that what you just said? I said I don't. Holy shit! I heard French. <laughs> I I don't speak French, but that's the kind of dress I put on my salad. <laughs> well, nevertheless, I I'd like to start tonight's discussion about Jules and Jim, a movie about two buddies who have a very intimate relationship. You know, they're buds. They fence. They hang out. Who knows what else they do? But it's cool. They love each other. And then they fall. Well, they, yeah, you know, they both fall in love with the same woman, essentially. And, you know, it gets really French. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear from Brittany to get your impressions on Francois, Francois Truffaut's French New Wave classic, Jules and Jim. Oui, oui. Did you start with me because I have the most French names? Or that was just the luck of the draw. Brittany Luxardo. I, 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 Brittany. I have the most. I have the most French name. Just to be clear. Uh, I have two. Brittany Renee. Oh. So feel Brittany free. Renee. Whenever you want to come in with okay. a French middle name, just feel free. <laughs> oh, you never heard of the the French name uh, Hefeld? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So. Um, so for the most French sounding name, Brittany Renee. <laughs> This um this was so interesting in so many ways. Um I I do have a lot to say but I also feel like at the same time that if I wanted to I could sort of sum up how I felt about this by just saying That's kind of that's kind of the summary. We're doing it all Christopher Nolan style tonight. So that's my that's my conclusion to start is um I I didn't I didn't hate this, but I also found it very challenging to enjoy in a lot of ways. Um I think that the first half had a lot of interesting movement and pacing and sort of little like moments 
that that were very fascinating and and like told a lot about the characters without saying like you know this is Jules he's from Austria but sort of more like putting them in a situation where we're able to find out something about who they are by the way that they act in a certain scenario um but I think and I'm sure I'm not alone in this because I've been on the internet um Catherine as a character is just really kind of impossible to get behind in any way. She's just awful. And there's, you know, maybe if we had been given more of who she was as a person, I might've been able to be more on board with this ridiculous ride that she was taking us on. Um, But I just kind of found it hard to get invested in the story, invested in the characters And by the time the war comes around and the story sort of slows down and gets a lot more like melodramatic, I I just didn't, I just didn't want to be in it anymore. Like I just didn't, I was like, okay, so you're going to fuck him. You're going to fuck him. Like none of it matters. Like I just kind of felt like, why am I here? Like I just didn't, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get into the story. And part of me kind of felt like, was this supposed to be some sort of like allegory for like life before and after the war or something? Mm. <laughs> because there certainly was like two very different, you know, before the war, everything's very like, yeah, ha, ha, we're young and hip and like doing our thing and la la la, life is great. And then after the war, everything's real fucking. Uh, it's it, it, it takes a hard turn. Um, so I don't know if that you know, was any part of it, but, um, that was just a a random thought I had, but yeah, all in all, it didn't do anything like, you know, I feel like a lot of times when I'm not super stoked on a film, I can pick out a lot of specific things that like, Oh, I hated, you know, this or that there wasn't really, you know, other than Catherine's character, like there wasn't really anything that I like hated. I just Just... wasn't. Yeah. I just kind of felt like, eh, at the end, like, I saw I saw a film and it was French and they did French things. Good for them. I, I wasn't I wasn't enthralled, but uh, I would well, love to hear what you guys think. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna go to the next most French sounding name participant <laughs> in this. Let's go to Beau. Uh, let me just say it. Let me just say it the way it should be said. Okay, it's Beau Brandon. <laughs> okay that's that's my full french i wish the um, I wish everyone could see your uh beret that you're sporting right now uh, yes yes and my striped shirt yes. and my artist Izel. and he's smoking a cigarette think. inside his house which i never thought i'd see him yeah doing. Actually, my cigarette is actually smoking a cigarette. That's how French I am. Are you um, eating Luxardo cherries right now? What are you? <laughs> and a croissant. Those aren't even. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Jules and Jim. Um, I wrote down here, I, I, I want to go through some of my notes because I wrote down a movie about knowing when your perfect moment of happiness is over and the inability of letting that go. Mm. And, and that's the part of this film that I could really uh, understand. Because I feel like if you've ever been in a failed relationship in any way, uh, there is always this moment in the beginning or middle or at the, the, the pinnacle of that relationship where things feel amazing. Things feel good and you're happy. It doesn't matter if that's two weeks. It doesn't matter if that's two months or two years. Once things sort of go south, your inability to 
recognize that can really destroy you from the inside out. And you look back and go, gosh, I should have left so much earlier. What was I thinking? And it's that inability to let go of that, that happiness that you had. And I think that's something that this movie does really well. Um, I think Truffaut uh, does create this almost imp improbable scenario in my world. I say that in my world, right? Because... Like, I think it would be hard to be either any three of these characters, uh, but I also understand it. There is this weird, understandable quality of these characters. Um, ultimately, I wrote, all passion is doomed, and what lies beyond that is the torment that was once there, but can never be the same. And again, if you've been in a failed relationship, you can sort of like understand what that is. Um, there is this torment that is created in us when we realize like something was good, but then it went bad. And I think these characters, especially, uh, Catherine and Jim, Jim, uh, seem to not be able to like, you know, they all moved forward in ways, but then were held back differently, you know? Um, all obsessed with each other on some level. It's a unique take on a love triangle, in my opinion, and especially for this movie to have been made in 1962, I found that to be really revolutionary. Um, I, I think it was um, ahead of its time, and I think that the film was very unapologetic about women's wants, the desire of men, and what we place on others to bring us satisfaction and acceptance. I think it's hard to tell a story like this and not have people sort of roll their eyes a little bit and go like, this is an impossible scenario. But the truth is, is these, these relationships do exist. You know, they do. And people are in currently, you hear more and more of people being in open relationships. And I think it is realistic to be in love with someone, but not be in a traditional relationship. Um, and that's why I think in 1962, this was really ahead of its time on, on how, like, like, you don't see a lot of films even today describing this accurately. Um, I loved how it was shot. It was very energetic. It was fast. The filming was, uh, you could tell it was a handheld camera in a lot of ways. And there were parts of it that made me think that Scorsese must have loved this um, because this had the beginnings of what ends up turning into later. You could feel the reference in uh, Goodfellas or even Casino in certain parts um, where things are shot quick, like flash cuts. Uh, when there's a gunshot in Goodfellas, there might be a, a flash of stillness. And in this film, there is these, uh, these moments of like, absolute, like uh, just, a, they hold on a frame when people are laughing, there's this moment and it, it, it's to burn that image in your brain. Like it becomes so much more important. And I, I love that Truffaut did that. Um, I, I, I did not look this up, but I, I would assume that Scorsese is a fan. So, um, uh, I wanted to quickly yeah, interject. Yeah, jump in. Jump uh, in. So you, you didn't... That's so funny you mentioned that because I was just reading, you know, uh, like 
you know, facts about this movie. And Scorsese was like heavily influenced and he cited it like for Goodfellas of mm. like the panic. He like cites the, what they were doing with those quick cuts of like creating that anxiety oh, awesome. and that like stressed out mode or like the extreme zoom in on like Ray Liotta's eyes and like, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, that's, that's super fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I try to think of modern films when I'm thinking, of, when we watch these older films is like, uh, you know, especially for this podcast is think like, what is, what movie would there be that many people have seen that could compare to this or you can see is inspired by, because to me, it's like when you're getting into films from the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, a lot of the filmmakers that we know today in the seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, they're watching these films and, you know, a movie like Jules and Jim has, has stood the test of time. We're still talking about it. I mean, Truffaut is one of those directors that is still is still uh, a name that we talk about. It didn't just go away. Yeah. Um, I was going to say also um, with the filming, I already mentioned that's fast and energetic, but I also wanted to flip that fast and energetic to exhausting because I feel like this film is exhausting throughout, especially uh, when referring to Catherine's tantrums and exploits. There are moments where you're like, Jesus, holy fuck. Like, how many times are we going to do this? How many times are we going to go through this moment? But again, that's why I feel like this, um, we are trapped in this, this weird sense of desire and always wanting something that we can never have. And the minute Catherine gets any of those things that she wants, she immediately tries to turn to the other thing, whether it be Albert or Jules or Jim or some other lover, it's always bouncing back and forth of never being happy and always wanting the next or the one that was before. And I felt like that was super exhausting. I'm wondering, because you pointed this out before and we're now kind of coming back around to it. Do you feel like this is an accurate portrayal of an open relationship? No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not personally saying that, but I would say that this is not so much as a healthy open relationship as it is. is you've got all these uh, men in this relationship willing to do whatever it takes just to have a piece of Catherine. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. It's clearly not healthy. Yeah. Um, but it is a representation of what uh, uh, maybe the first representation of an open relationship that I've seen in film oh, okay. in that era. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do agree. It definitely is ahead of its time. And I do remember thinking like, wow, 62, like it's good for you guys. Um, but yeah, to me, it doesn't even read as an open relationship as much as it does like this one woman who's just doing whatever the fuck she wants. And the, the men that are powerless to do anything, but get whatever piece of her that they can. It's like, it doesn't feel like, you know, when you think about an open relationship in today's standards, it's like, there's this sort of agreed upon contract almost of like, okay, this is what this is. These are the rules. This is how we're going to react in this and that situation. This is seems much, um, messier and sort of just like but at the same time i want to say this is like yeah you're right i'm not i'm not disagreeing with you that an open relationship has these especially societal rules and 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 changing rules now but like think about what marriage was portrayed at in 1960 
And so you look at this moment. Uh, I, I'm I'm loving this moment right now because like you can't see this, listeners. But Ian is losing his fucking <laughs> shit right now. He just can't even help it. Ian, do you want to jump in here? I, and, and, I would and, like to say some things. I would like to just quickly interject. Um, there's so many points where to begin, but with Catherine, I I, I actually I don't the way I, I don't think they do a bad job of portraying her or created in a sense where these guys are just desperate to get a piece of her. One guy is clearly Jules, and you know I think the film does a a really good job of almost portraying the alpha to like, like Jim is the alpha. There's definitely a scene where they're all at the Chateau before, like it's either right after they get married or before the, I think before the war, but like Jules and Catherine are on the same floor coming out of their respective bedrooms. And Jim comes out on the top floor, like shirtless, glowing, (laughs) masculine ripped. And Jules like, Hey Jim, you look great this morning. You know, it's like, that's the guy (laughs) that Catherine kind of wants. Now, again, that's such a base level, but like such a symbol of dominance and like power in a way. Now there's some, I, I think a couple things, you know, in terms of Catherine's character of she can never get enough. There's also this aspect of like her lying to herself about what she wants, like lying, like, you know, Jim Jules is, you know, he's a nice guy. I'll settle down and be married. But there is that question for a lot of people of, do I actually want this? Or is this the story that I've been told all my life? Um, but the one thing I really, one thing I think is is really fascinating because it, it is a major key aspect of this film of, you know, and, and all, ju- you know, comedy aside, one of the reasons I picked this was I was talking to my mom about film club and she's like, have you ever seen Jules and Jim? She's like, she was just kind of like, I remember when this came out and it was really like, whoa, profound to see this film and this story portrayed because it really hadn't been portrayed. And apparently Truffaut, uh, you know, little research that I did, Truffaut, found this book this was an autobiography of this guy writing about this was his life in the like the 1920s um in france and Truffaut tracked him down the guy was like 90 years old and he interviewed him he's like can i make this into a film he's like yeah because it's like a wild story (laughs) but one of my favorite things that i'm gonna like this is what i'm geeking out on was years ago i found this article and it talked about essentially this there's this like strauss how generational theory that there's four basic cycles of history, that history is not this linear thing that we think it is, and that history just keeps repeating itself and repeating itself on these four, like, 15 to 20-year cycles. Um, And there's, like, you know, four stages. And one of my big takeaways is I think we are in this phase right now where when I talk to someone a generation younger, a Gen Zer, and I think it is, you know, maybe this is anecdotal, but more common to find people in polyamorous relationships or open relationships or atypical or non-traditional relationships. And people are kind of like, wow, this is, oh, I, I don't know if I could handle this. It's so different and, you know, we're so evolved. But then it's like we kind of forget of like the 1960s free love movement. We forget about yeah. like a parent, you know, all these other times in history where this actually was kind of going on. Maybe it wasn't talked about as much Maybe it wasn't as socially acceptable. They kind of touch upon Catherine being somewhat ostracized or the weirdos out in the village or out in the countryside somewhat. 
But even when Jim's back in Paris, it's kind of like they show him with like, yeah, this is my girlfriend. I like stop over. I'm not going to like marry her, but I'm going to like hit it like on a regular basis. And like it's cash, <laughs> you know, or like yeah. the other party <laughs> girl that just like keeps jumping from one dude to the next. And like, she's not shamed. They're like, go get it, girl. Like go meet that like baker or whatever. Go get a place to stay tonight. Good for you. And I thought that was fascinating where, Yes, maybe in, I agree. In mainstream media, in film, this kind of was like shocking. But I also think it's kind of a good reminder to all of us that maybe in the same way that, you know, history is this like biography of society, that in all of us, you know, uh, to bring it back to the start of this or before we, tonight's discussion, we referenced Chris Rock and, you know, <laughs> shout out Alex. He would always quote Chris Rock like, married and bored, lonely and single or single and lonely. And that there is this oscillation for Catherine of like, yeah, I'm having fun. I want to try this. I'm going to experiment. And maybe I'm going to, I got sick of that or I got tired of that. And I'm going to try this monogamous relationship. And maybe that we see that in society right now of, oh, you know, like being married for till death do us part. That doesn't seem right. And this next generation is like, I'm going to experiment. I'm going to do this and this and this. And maybe they're going to be like, you know what? It's really exhausting to have three partners and keeping all that managed. I just want this one thing. You know, it's like, so that's what, that's the only thing that I, that really jumped out to me that I wanted to like discuss and throw out about this film that reminded me of like, yeah, maybe in 1920s France, like people were doing this and we just think it's kind of like revolutionary now in 2020. Maybe. Maybe. I also think that uh, what you just said brings up an interesting point because what we're not talking about in that is the destruction in, in the sort of in the wake of any of these characters' decisions, right? Like all the people that are affected. And ultimately, if we're focusing just on Catherine as a main uh, feature of this, even though it's called Jules and Jim, they are sort of like the... Uh, the effect, uh, they are what's left behind. Well, really, only Jules is left behind. <laughs> but um, ultimately, it's about this woman and her taking whatever she wants, doing whatever she wants, everyone bowing down to her, and in the end, her sort of like destroying everything in her, in her path. I don't know if I'm misreading that, <clears throat> but it did remind me of a couple films and I, and I actually looked this up and, and, and there was some agreement on this, which is, uh, it, it's a, it's a movie that goes from comedy. It really felt like comedy in the beginning, joy and comedy to tragedy. And there are a couple other films that are similar to this Bonnie and Clyde sort of feels similar and also Thelma and Louise, which is much more modern. Uh, and I know I read that someplace as well. Um, and I read this great quote. Can I do a quote? I know that I do quotes every single time. I just okay, like to do yeah. a quote. Uh, enough yeah. with the quotes, Bo. I mean, it's... it's... Truffaut, Truffaut says, said, I begin a film believing it will be amusing. And along the way, I notice that only sadness can save it. Which I thought was really interesting and absolutely on point for this film. Those are all my thoughts on this one, mm. on Jules and Jean. I, if I may, uh, you may. One other comment about Catherine. I do think what stuck out to me was Truffaut. I, I think this film experiments a lot. 
And sometimes it hits and it's amazing. Like you mentioned kind of the stop frame of her emotions when she's like smiling, laughing, being serious. That's such a memorable shot. And I'd never really seen anything like that before. Some of it fails. Like when he splices in like war footage and whatever, I'm like, well, you're, you know, you're experimenting. I'll give you that. Um, but I do think, I don't know, to me, Catherine just exudes a quality that is so attractive that I feel like almost anyone would be drawn to of her joy of life in the beginning. Obviously, like, you know. Yeah, I was going to say it's fleeting. It's fleeting, but I can also see that. My, all joking aside, as much as I, I, I don't mind the Jules, Jim, Catherine dynamic where I can also see Jules like, I don't know, like she's the mother of my child. I don't want to be a part of this. I mean, whatever, it's awkward or weird or different, but, but Jim, Jim, we got to talk about your boundary settings because Catherine attempted to murder you with a gun. And subsequently she invited you to go for a casual drive. <laughs> you know, come, hey, come away. I was like, Jim, fool, fool me once. I mean, <laughs> fool me once. Shame on you. That's, fool that's, me twice. That, well, I, I'm dead. Isn't that a perfect representation of the movie? Is that none of these <laughs> motivations make any fucking sense? Nah, that was my that was my problem. Say and that. I can get behind I can get behind a character if we want to say that Catherine is just this like, oh whatever, I'm just chasing my moment and like hashtag YOLO and like whatever. That's fine. But even within that, it feels a little I just feel like her motivations feel like a bit of a stretch and everyone else's responses to her actions feel a little like Come on, guys. What, what is this? A fucking nineteen sixties French soap opera? Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, <laughs> I, I, I wanted Both. to. I wanted to disagree with you on some level. I think that uh, the truth is, is that Jules is in love with her, and she thought that she could be in love with him. But the truth is, is she's actually in love with Jim. No, and she's the not. Idea that Jim. <laughs> but yes, she is because the idea of her letting Jim be with this other woman who he was definitely going to be with just killed her. And she was sure. with, she was with Jules because she knew that it was safe and secure and he would never leave. And Jim was on the verge of leaving. And so she, she did the thing that she knew was the only way she would ever be happy, which is to kill him and herself and end it all. And she's a horrible person in the sense that she said, I think her last words were like, watch carefully and then goes and like kills her her best friend and herself and leaves him with the the destruction of that she um yes she said it to jules as if like a a child asking their parent (laughs) to see them jump off the high dive like watch watch me right yeah absolutely (laughs) watch this car trick i bet mommy 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 (laughs) yeah Uh, that's true that's true um Okay. Did did any yeah, of you think Catherine? Whatever. I mean, did did any of you get the, like the vibe? Do, do you think we kind of have a Jules and Jim thing, like the three of us? All right. So what did um, you? Uh, <laughs> it depends on how far you want to wow. take that sentiment. <laughs> yes, wow. the answer is yes. <laughs> well, all I know is this. All I know is this. I'm definitely Jules, and I'll, I'm okay with that. I get to live a long life. Wait a second. Hold on. Are you saying I get to fuck other people? We're gonna bring this up after. The but what did you what did you rate this film? <laughs> Brits, what did you give Jules and yes. Jim? Yes. 
Brittany Rene gave this, and I feel like you guys are going to have words. I don't give a fuck. A 6.5. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yep. Bo. Okay. I gave this film an 8.5. Whoa. Hmm. How about you, Ian? <sighs> He's changing I, his score in his mind right now. <laughs> no. Um, I gave this a 6.8. Oh! Okay. <laughs> okay. That brings me so much joy. Uh, oh, I'm going to jump into the sen right now. A 6.5. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, are you all ready for some trivia? Absolutely. Yes. Let's keep with the French theme. I'm going to open up a bottle, and you're going to guess the region and the year. No. Uh, so for trivia, <laughs> you know how this works. I'm going to ask two questions. Uh, after I complete the first question, raise your hand. Whoever guesses the correct answer gets one point. We refill our drinks. Toast and go on to the second question. Who's ready for question number one? Ready. Me. We. Oui. So, Jules and Jim was obviously directed by Francois Truffaut, who won several awards as a director for directing such films such as The 400 Blows, Stolen Kisses, The Story of Adele H. However, Mr. Truffaut also did a bit of acting. He was nominated for the BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for which film, which we have also viewed for MCFC Bow with the quick hand? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That is correct. He what played Claude Lacombe. Fuck? Wow. Claude Lacombe. Oh, don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with me with Spielberg. I'll get you every time. I'll get you every time. All right. Well, time for the second question. Uh, this one's worth two points. Britt, you can still get on the board. I would love to. We're going to stick with Jules and Jim. Jules and Jim was apparently the favorite movie of which famous English theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author? The fuck? <laughs> can, you, can you read that one more time? Please. Sorry. Jules and Jim was apparently the favorite movie of which famous English Theoretical physicist, cosmologist, slash author. Oh, God, you got me with like British or English. Hmm. Ooh, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. It's not Dennis he, Nedry. He was in, he was. It's, what? it's, it's not, not Dennis It's not Nedry. Dennis Nedry. <laughs> but he was in a space. He was, a, he was like space. Hmm. Or did you say cosmetologist? Um, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I I don't Rupaul. I don't have a guess. <laughs> I don't have a guess. I'm sorry, I don't. Britt, would you like to steal? <laughs> steal what? I didn't guess. You're not stealing anything. You're just guessing for the first time. Um, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great that was, that was a great guess I got Holy British <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Come on, half the, point, half point. The correct Help me out, answer. Jules. Oh, apparently, this was Stephen Hawking's favorite movie. Wow, <laughs> really? Oh gosh, what he would do in that wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> well, good guess on the Pierce Brosnan. Very close. I. You were so close, Brett. So they close, were but... they were uh, third cousins. I heard. Wait, yeah. wait. Just to be clear, is Brit is Brit the 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 lowest on the board of trivia questions? Because that yes. would surprise me after today's showing. Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> oh, as opposed to, I have no guess. At least I tried. I'm just saying. Maybe there was something you didn't know about Pierce. All right. Maybe he's a, a famous. <laughs> maybe he had theoretical. Maybe he had a different career trajectory before he went okay, into acting. You right. don't know. Maybe, maybe you're right, Britt. I'm sorry. Doctor, I'm sorry. I Doctor Pierce <laughs> Rosden. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sir oh, Doctor. Geez. Sir Doctor. <laughs> oh, well, well, who's ready to jump into our next French themed movie? Uh our next pick up tonight. 2021's uh, documentary directed by Frank Mortimer, The Alpinist, a film all about Marc Andre Leclerc. Uh to summarize this, I would say uh, Disney presents Free Solo on Ice. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a reference for yet, anyone Ian. born after 1995, before 1995. But uh, <laughs> I want to start with our resident mountaineer, climber, outdoorsman extraordinaire, Bo Hufford. Bo, what did you, I would love your thoughts on the Alpinist. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, introduction. I've been on a mountain or two. I really have. I grew up skiing. And so I know what it takes to live the life that uh, Mark led. Um, I, I, here's the hardest thing about a documentary like this. I don't have much to say because if you watch the film, I'm not sure how much discussion can be had that wasn't already had if you've seen Free Solo. Yeah. And this is the problem with <laughs> once you watch Free Solo, which is, a, in my opinion, a better film, um, but is almost the same film, almost the same film. If you can imagine a multiverse where you have a timeline where there's a climber, he goes to great odds to do this climbing uh, in the hardest way possible, pushing himself, trying to beat records, trying to beat himself and others, who has a, an understanding girlfriend who pushes him and also is scared for him. And one film ends with him going like, and I did it! And the other one ending with, and he's dead! Then these are these two films. Uh, and I would say that I've already had this conversation and for the sake of this, this podcast, I will have it again. But the truth is, is it brings up, it brings up conversations of why do we do the things we do and at what lengths do we do them? Um, and in this case, there were a couple things that stood out to me. One, I really liked how he seemed to have found joy 
in ways that many humans never do. And that is, he found his joy in climbing in the, in the style in which he did, with no help from ropes, with no help from spotters. He liked to do it alone. He liked to really like go out there and be one with nature. And I think that's amazing. I think that's great. It's not for me. Um, and I do challenge because I'm not where he is, but I challenge like why you need to do this in this way, but maybe you don't understand living until you live like this, you know, and whatever that is and whatever that is. Um, couple things that stood out to me in this film and I, and then I'll kind of stop talking cause there really isn't much to say again for me. Um, I would say I was a little irritated with the filmmakers at times. Um, I felt like this is a moment where they, they act like they're trying to get this, you know, they're trying to show how amazing this person is, but the, the moment the person that they're filming says, yeah, the thing that you're trying to find about me is this, and I need to be alone. Then they're irritated because all they want is to finish their film, which is such a selfish thing that I understand. They have a project, but they don't really understand the role behind this. And that's why they're like, he just went off the map and we can't finish our project. It's like, it's not about your fucking project. It's not about that. And so I really appreciated that about our main character sort of going like, yeah, it's not the same when you guys come out. That's kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm doing here. And they don't get it. And they act like they get it. But then in that moment, you realize like, yeah, they don't. They do not understand what this is about. Um, so I was a little irritated with the filmmakers for that. Um, and then ultimately, I don't know what this film is trying to tell me other than live life i guess do hard things live life <laughs> so hard so hard that at any moment you could die but if you did you would have lived and a lot of people never get to that point that's how i feel about this right now love to hear you guys brit talk to me um i i i'm gonna talk to both of you i uh agree in a lot of ways i did experience that moment of frustration um maybe midway ish through where he mark kind of drops off the map because i feel like as much as i i want to be clued in as the viewer to like oh okay like you you're trying to tell this story and then you had this hiccup in making this film and you want to kind of like break the fourth wall and be like hey guys this is what's going on like that's fine i'm i have no problem with that if you want to like have that change in what you were setting out to do i do though feel like yeah the way that they presented that a little bit was like this guy it's like well i don't know i don't i can see both sides of it but i also feel like there is perhaps a way to let the viewer know that that situation was happening without sort of feeling like you're pointing a finger at him like how dare he go do that thing that he's dedicated his life to and loves so much and clearly wants to do without us watching him. But then at the same time, it's like, yeah, but he did agree to do this documentary. So like I see both sides of it. I just feel like there was a way for them as documentary filmmakers to let us know that this situation was taking place without having as much like bias on it. 
It just mm. felt a little heavy-handed in like their opinion of of how he handled that moment. I don't know. Their subject. I, I, it just yeah, yeah. Um but that aside, that was one small, you know, part of the whole story. I did enjoy it overall. Um as someone who very much is deathly afraid of heights in a lot of situations, it was extremely hard for me to watch. Um but at the same time, I did appreciate um all of the sort of sprawling drone cinematography mixed in with the I don't know if they had a GoPro on him or some, you know, small camera at different times um where you would see it from Mark's perspective which was so like it's so insane to me where I'm like I'll, you know, climb a few rungs up a ladder sometimes and like look down and be kind of like oh and then he's, you know, however many hundreds of feet up on this fucking shelf of ice with like one pickaxe in there like hanging on like it's no big deal he's looking down and like seeing that view seeing all of the madness in my mind the madness of like what that is i think adds a lot to the story because they aren't able to like you know they have interviews with him but he's a little um introverted i guess and not necessarily like comfortable in front of the camera um so to be able to sort of like fill in the holes that he was not telling to the camera with just like his actual perspective of going on these free solo climbs and then seeing his perspective i thought was super cool um i thought that the story on the whole had a good balance of like his backstory but not too much of it um other people sort of talking about like the difficulty of the climbs that he's doing and how fucking crazy he is balanced with just sort of like the quiet of just watching him do his thing and like sort of chart the course and you know navigate these climbs and see a moment where he's like oh that's not working okay let's try this that's not working all right let's go over here let's do it this way and like all of that together i thought it was like a it was a good um balance of not doing too much of any of those things but i was glad that i saw all of those things um and i don't remember the free solo movie super well but i don't feel like we got as much of that in that like the variety of all of those Mm. things but i could be wrong i could be wrong um i do love when a documentary can bring me to a place of understanding with someone that is so insanely different from me living a lifestyle doing a thing that i would never dream to do and have no interest in and I'm actually fucking terrified of where like I can come to a place where I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I, I get it. Like I get why you're doing what you're doing. I understand your passion and your motivation. And like, I get it. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, but like, good for you. Like I, I feel like I understand this guy now. I feel like it, it did a good job of bringing me to that place. So, uh, overall I'm a fan. Whew. Well, uh no i was gonna be like that's how i felt about paris is burning like (laughs) i was like i want to vogue right now like i I was like yeah get it uh this is uh the 
like probably the worst thing that could have happened to this film was free solo coming out three years ago. Right. And it is this thing. It's like that opened up the floodgates of like popularizing climbing. It put Alex Honnold on the map of like the Michael Jordan of the climbing world. And the fact that you open up this film with Honnold discussing what Mark Andre Leclerc is doing. I think it's in free solo or, and I'm about to geek out real hard. <laughs> I think it's either in free solo or there's the Dawn wall movie about Tommy Caldwell, but in either of those movies, they're kind of, there's a line. I think it's in free solo. They're like, if you know nothing about climbing, you see Alex Honnold free soloing in Yosemite. And you're like, wow, that's crazy. If you know anything about climbing, you're like, that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because you kind of <laughs> know this is insane. You both know I, yeah, I, uh, I climb, I boulder, I, I, you know, I climb a little bit on a regular here at a gym, but I know a little bit. And what Mark Andre Leclerc is doing in this film is shocking. Like it, it's truly. I was nauseated seeing some of those scenes when he is in the overhang and he has both ice axes in or one in and like both feet dangling. I'm nearly throwing up. <laughs> that is insane. And the big thing too is Honold's thing was like, he went, he, you know, it's kind of like, I'm going to do to this one climb at Yosemite. I've climbed it a thousand times. I know every move. It's actually not that risky for me. Leclerc is like showing up and just like, yeah, I think I can do this. And it's like, <laughs> he's essentially you know, flashing or on sighting, like walking up and doing this stuff. It's mind boggling, somewhat potentially suicidal, you know? And I, I, I think my favorite part of this film is when he's in whatever Squamish or in the you know, Pacific Northwest up in Canada and there's just like all these like 50 year old dudes at a bar like who the hell is this kid like what no kid like it took us seven months to climb that you know it would be just like these old guys really nodding and showing respect and kind of their perspective of how insane of what he's doing I agree with you, Britt. I do think this film does do a better job of showing a huge scope of what he's doing versus like, my name's Alex. I just keep climbing this rock every day kind of thing. Or like, here's, they, they do a better job. And I really struggled with this in that I think his story, some people would find it insane again or foolish or, you know, suicide. I find it very inspiring and I find it inspiring because I think he does demonstrate someone who pushes the boundaries of what is humanly possible. And I think for whatever you want to do, there is no ceiling. There is no limit. Now, again, there's risk <laughs> and perhaps he shortened his life. But there's also that element, and it's not easy to do, but in those, you know, from age 18 to 25 of those seven years where all he's doing is being this dirtbag climber, he probably lived much more of that life than people who 
don't do anything and die at 97. So to me, I think it's a great lesson of like, you're going to die. Do that shit that you want to do. Now, you know, again, I go back and forth like, wonder how he would have potentially changed if he had a child. I don't know. Again, that's like, here's the thing that's directly dependent upon me. Maybe, maybe it would have slowed down. Like, obviously, Alex Honnold has kind of chilled out and, you know, got married and lives in, he, he like lives outside of Vegas in the suburbs kind of thing. And, um, but I do find his story inspiring. The hardest thing that we've, we've had many discussions in the past, you know, before we started recording this show, uh, where we had like documentary week and, you know, are we rating the subject, the story or the film? You know, and it's like, yeah, these films are very formulaic. And I, you both brought up this point about the fourth wall. And I do wonder is like, that's kind of the shtick now in documentaries. Like when documentaries first started as an art form, it's like the fact that they're like, this is real life. Like that's shocking. And then maybe then, you know, again, I, I haven't really formulated this thought, but I think like 20 years ago, I remember starting to see documentaries and the shtick was like, we recorded eight years of footage. We were like, we took all this footage and now we distilled it down. And now maybe the thing now is we saw it in, uh, what is it? The amazing, the amazing Jonathan documentary, or there's no I in threesome. Um, yeah. And now kind of with this of, Hey, we're the filmmakers. This all went off the rails. We're interjecting our thoughts on what's going on right now. And that's like part of the story. And that's just kind of the mm. style of documentaries now. I don't know. I mean, but so. I mean, I had a question. Yeah. I have a question about it, which is, is this good because he died in the end? Or would this still be a documentary that anyone's talking about if he didn't? Because Free Solo already did everything else before this. Yeah, we can show Mark and we can show what he did. And, and it's, that's sad to me because like a person died. A person did die. But like, is this film good or is, was Mark amazing? And these filmmakers just got lucky with the fact that the story ends in tragedy, which bookends their entire idea of like, go for what you want. And then here's a funeral about people saying you should go for what you want. And, and so that's, that's one question I had for both of you is like, is this good or is it good because he died? Like the film, not the person, the film right. that were watched. I don't think it's good because he died. I honestly, I mean, other than that, I would not wish anyone to die. Um, I wish it had ended a different way because I feel like as much as, you know, yeah, they had to have the funeral and like all of that wrap up because he died. I would have preferred to see the alternative film where he just ran off into the wilderness and like kept doing his thing. I think that would have been a more exciting story for me because the first three quarters of it and what made it an interesting documentary for me was the fact that, you know, like I was saying, it's like, I have no, I cannot relate to this guy in any fucking way. Like our lives could not be more different than they are or were in his case. Um, but the fact that they still were able to tell me his story in a way where I felt inspired, I felt like I understood a hundred percent where he was coming from. And I was walking away from it before the very end, 
kind of going like, wow, like, yeah, this guy's fucking out here living more than any of us will ever live in a lot of ways because like he's reaching the peak of his happiness every fucking day that he's going out and doing this like sure. you know a lot of us in a lot of ways it's like oh i made it to work today and i fed myself three meals like i did it i'm i'm an adult i'm living life and it's like well how fucking exciting is that like that's not really that's not fulfilling any greater purpose like you just like kept yourself alive for another day like good for you who gives a fuck like well this guy's out here i appreciate i appreciate you got that from this i think that's a good message i think that is the best message this movie could make sure Uh, but i feel like that is a combination of like it is some part like this is how this guy was living his life. So, of course, how could they not have a film that evokes that? Because that's the subject of the film. But I do also think they did a good job in the way that they portrayed that. So I think it's I think it's both like they had an interesting subject, but they also did a good job in presenting it in the best way possible. Well, well my only comment on that uh is that i think again the character now to circle to your question bo before watching this film i you know because our rule is like never looking anything up like i didn't realize he had died you know and it it was kind of a thing where like i remembered like once they're like oh him and mark johnson or whatever in alaska i was like oh i kind of remember that being a new story you know a little bit but like i obviously i was surprised and you know, um, do I think it, it's it's a thing where they say, you know, it's like the best thing to happen to a lot of musicians in their careers is like Kurt Cobain dying young. Like all these things of like, you yeah. know, sure. the legacy or... What a, what a horrible thing to say about anybody, but I hear you. Right. And again, I obviously <laughs> don't mean that, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of their brand No, but I whatever. hear exactly what you mean. Yeah. But... 100%. That being said, one thought I had about Marc-Andre Leclerc, who... Seems like a great guy. He seemed like a really nice guy. And it was this reminder, though, too, of they're obviously editing this film to tell their story. And as much as he is this, like, yeah, I'm just living my life. Like, I do wonder, and this, I don't, this is not to speak ill of the dead or the deceased, but I like, were there moments where, like, hey, you know, I wish you had a car, man. Like, we can't give you a ride or, like, you know, he's just, you're living in the hallway. Like, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to have a party and your bed's here. Like all these moments where he seemed like the real deal. He seemed authentic and he seemed so lovable and likable, but it's like, you know, there's those moments where he doesn't have a cell phone and you're like, yeah, you're hard to reach. Like, or again, I'm not, I don't mean this as a knock, but you don't, you never see any of that part of the story except for the director's like, Hey, we're trying to reach this guy and he's kind of, he's gone off the radar, but then also those other elements where like, you know, he's hitchhiking to go do these summits or like all the things where you kind of well, still, depend I, on other I, I think that that's a challenge on each of us, right? It's right? like, what do we need? What do you actually need? Do you need it? Like, cause I would say that, I mean, and this is getting very personal, but like, I would say that you are a person who's constantly, uh, uh sort of like technology avoidant. Right. You don't want to have to rely on technology. And I feel like 
I could see you doing this. I could see you going out and camping for two months. I could see you like jumping off grid and saying like, yeah, I canceled my cell phone. Yeah. I got rid of my laptop. Yeah. I just went out and I lived in the wilderness and everyone else would be like, are you insane? But it's like, I get why people do that. I mean, if I have to respond to where we are right now with technology, it would be like, I'm sick of seeing everyone on Instagram and social media having to update constantly and tell me what their life is and, and check in and gloat or brag or whatever. It's like, can we all just like get rid of that? And it's like, I can totally understand why a person like Mark would be like, yeah, I I don't want any of that. Fuck this. Uh, This is not the world I want to live in. And I want to do this other thing. So I sort of understand that perspective and I can't believe that I'm saying that because I'm practically like nuzzling next to Steve Jobs dick at this moment. <laughs> so like at every moment. he's already dead. So the, yeah. yeah, just like Mark, just like Mark, he's dead. Um, <laughs> yes. Ian, you want to say something? Just a good reminder to our listeners to follow us on Instagram at movie cinema film club, <laughs> like, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> new content every friday every don't forget to rate us on apple Podcasts. that really helps out a lot <laughs> no i hear that here's the thing here's the social dilemma right it's like i look at someone like mark and i'm like yeah i think he figured it out he figured out for him his personal joy yes that's not my personal joy i have something different and it's important for me to figure that out. And I don't know what that is in some ways, even at the age that I'm at. And he was in his 20s and he sort of figured out what was right for him. Um, You're absolutely right, though, that like all. Yes. Okay. No, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you. Speak. No, I was just going to say you are absolutely right. Like if I could so like, hey, you don't have to work for the next year. Like the first thing I'm doing is like going off the grid and like biking for the next three months, like bicycling. Yeah. So yeah, I I like with, I with grizzly bears or just on your own. Well, that's that. It's funny that you say that because like I thought of Grizzly Man during <laughs> this. Is like here's a person who is out there and is in by all accounts everyone around him is going like you're insane for doing this, but like that's what brought him joy. Yeah. And did he die doing it? Yes. But like, did it bring him joy? It clearly did. It mm-hmm. clearly brought him joy. And are we meant to live to be 90 and die in a hospital bed? Maybe not. Maybe not, guys. Some of and us so maybe, I, but yeah. I, I, again, I want to come back to this film because this is what we're talking about. And we could talk about life and eternity and all of these things and, and living your, your best version, whatever this is. But like, ultimately... I feel like this movie did not do a great job of what I I feel like, unfortunately, and you cannot compare a film to every other film before it, but but the truth is we do. No, but the truth (laughs) is we do. We do. If someone made a mafia movie that was similar to Goodfellas, you couldn't help but say like, wow, that's a lot like Goodfellas. And this is where this failed and Goodfellas succeeded. And I would say free solo did a great job in telling that story. Um, and this film felt like a replicant of Free Solo with a worse, like a, like a sadder ending. And, and I'm not sure I ended thinking like, thinking that this 
film, this actual film, not the story of this person's life, okay, but this actual film was that great. I didn't think this film was that great. I thought the story of this, uh, this person's life was interesting, but in the end, I felt like the filmmakers really were sort of like these selfish little twats. Wow. Trying to like, hmm. trying to like, trying to make a story out of, out of something. And then they just fell in their lap that he happened to pass away, which is so unfortunate, but that was the most emotional part of this entire film. And that's the truth. Well, Bo, what did you rate? What did you rate? What did Alpinist? I rate? Alpinist. <laughs> Alpinist. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I, yep, yep, pianist. Uh, the pianist, uh, the pianist, I gave, no, um, Alpinist, I gave it a 7.5. I think it succeeded in a lot of places. I did enjoy watching it, but I had questions, as I've already uh, said um, at the end, that made me wonder, like, why was this made other than the fact that he passed away? Um, I've already seen the story. It was called Free Solo, uh, Disney on Ice. Um, no, no, I'm just, I'm going to give that a 7.5. I'm going to give it a 7.5. Brit? Yeah. Um, I do find a documentary hard to rate in a lot of ways. Um, I did very much enjoy this, but at the same time, unlike a particular couple of documentaries throughout time, I didn't feel like it went like above and beyond. So I also gave it a 7.5. Wow. But I, I thought it was great, and I would recommend it to alpinists and non-alpinists alike. Wow. Yeah, the, non-AP, uh, the non-A's. Uh, well, <laughs> what'd you give it? Hold, 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 hold yourselves down and you know, grab your seats. Okay. Uh, I gave it a... 10.5! I've got my hooks in the ice. I gave it a 7.7. Seven point seven. Wow. Because he just can't be even. Good on you, Ian. Well, if nothing else, thank you for indulging my French-themed show this week. We oui, we. Oui. Bo, will you you take us out? Of course. Um, you know, as always, we appreciate you coming here to the MCFC. And uh, the most important thing I want to tell each and every one of you is. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Okay, I'm so excited. This is Bo, and next week are my movies. So here are the coming attractions. I have picked Mommy Dearest by Frank Perry, that's the director, from 1981, and Eraserhead by David Lynch from 1977. I'm very excited to watch these films. I've never seen them, and let's get wild. You know what I'm saying? Cinema Film Club is brought to you by Shit Show Media. Make sure you check out all of our upcoming movies we'll be talking about on our Instagram at Movie Cinema Film Club. If you have an opinion, a comment, or a movie you think we should watch and discuss, email us at moviecinemafilmclub at gmail.com. This week's episode was written by Ian Chofe, Brittany Everett, and me, Bo Hufford, and it was edited by Brittany Everett. Remember, support your local cinema, don't spoil films, be oh so quiet at the movies, and for the love of God, choose to read subtitles and boycott film dubbing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.